Welcome to a Sunny Side Up Life podcast, a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity. I'm your host, Sammy Womack, a nationally recognized money expert, budgeting coach, and your very own hype squad. I'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode, gain financial freedom, stay motivated, and focus on what matters most. Join the movement and let's start living on the brighter side of life together. Just a reminder that everything discussed in today's episode will be linked in the episode show notes. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at A Sunny Side Up Life. And if you're ready to take control of your money and need guided instructions, check out my free budgeting challenge by going to a sunnysideuplife.com. Now let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, I have a great episode for you guys today. Today we're going to be talking about five frequently asked finance questions. These are questions that I get all the time on social media. And, you know, it's a little bit easier to explain and kind of break these down a little bit more over podcast versus a DM or an Instagram comment or something like that. So we're going to dig into some of these. And, you know, obviously, there's no gatekeeping around here. So I want to share as much as I can on these topics with you guys in this little bit of time that we have. So hopefully, these are helpful to you. Number one, jumping right in. What is a sinking fund? Anytime I post about sinking funds, I feel like this is the thing I get the most questions about. Because it's not really a mainstream term. Like I never heard about it until I got into this whole financial world. Everybody knows what a savings account is. I feel like even an IRA or 401k, I feel like those are pretty common terms. But sinking fund? No, not common at all. But it is actually One of the things that I say are the biggest like make or break for a successful budget, especially when you first get started. So what exactly is a sinking fund? Okay, so I think the term comes from and don't quote me on this. I don't know if this is true, but for me, I equate it with like you sink money in little by little. So you're just like a sinking cost kind of thing. I don't know. Does that make sense to anybody else? (laughs) I think that the simplest example is Christmas. I feel like even some banks offer special Christmas savings accounts. So essentially, say, for example, you want to spend $1,200 on Christmas. Well, you'd put $100 a month aside. And when it's Christmas time, you'd have your $1,200. But you do that even farther beyond just Christmas. I actually have a really old episode about this that I'm going to link in the show notes. It digs even more into sinking funds that we're going to have time to talk about today. Even though it's a really old episode, it's really good and really thorough. So I'm going to link that for you if you want to learn even more about this. But let's talk about a couple examples. So some of my favorites that I've seen clients do, that I've recommended for clients, that I've done for myself, all of the above. These are some examples. Replace appliances is a really big one, especially if you are a homeowner or especially if in our case you bought an older home, right? Eventually that refrigerator is going to go out. Eventually that dishwasher is going to go out. Ours probably doesn't have much life left on it just on the top of my head. But That's a real thing. So instead of just sticking our head in the sand, we're setting some money back for things like that. Also replacing technology, new phones, a new computer. Instead of giving AT&T or Verizon a payment plan every single month, 
to buy a new phone, you set money back. That way, when you need a new phone, you already have the money. You can pay for it in cash. Same thing for vehicles. Even if you know it's going to be two or three years out until you buy a new vehicle, especially if you are trying to cash flow these vehicles or trying to put really big down payments to keep your payments low, go ahead and start setting money aside every month, especially if you are in a season where you currently don't have a car payment and you might have a little bit of extra money to be like, hey, I don't have a car payment right now. That's $300 I can set aside for my next car. That's a really great thing to do. One of the really fun sinking funds is vacation and travel. Maybe you travel back home to see family once or twice a year. I've had some people that have family that live internationally. That's a really big expense, but it's a very high priority to them. So just because you live on a budget doesn't mean that you never get to travel to see family. Doesn't mean that you never get to go on vacation, even weekend getaways, things like that, even just camping trips, right? they all have expenses tied up in them. And we want to make sure that you're spending money on things that are important to you. And if vacations and travel, camping, things like that are important to you, make sure to put it in the budget. Of course, holidays, we mentioned Christmas, but there are a lot of other holidays that we spend money on. So my best rule of thumb is to grab a calendar and kind of flip through and take notes of any holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, any of these kind of like Secretary's Day or Boss's Day. <laughs> I don't know. There's all of these different ones nowadays. Anything like that that you would spend money on, mark it down. I've even had some clients go as far to like making a separate tab in their spreadsheet and they're like, okay, cousin birthday, 10 bucks times. We have five cousins, <laughs> um, sister-in-law birthday, 20 bucks times two. I have two sister-in-laws and just like doing all that. And it adds up so quickly. But the thing is, is if you're going to spend money on these people's birthdays, you're going to buy them Christmas gifts, you're going to send them flowers on Mother's Day, whatever it is, put it in the budget. Don't just pretend like you're not going to spend money on it when you know good and well you are. If the total comes out to be really high, that's where you can go back and kind of work backwards. Okay, could I like get a group on and like get something cheaper for her? Could I find something on sale? Could I just do a smaller budget, you know, but don't just put your head in the sand and pretend like you're not going to spend money on these holidays when we, we both know you probably <laughs> really are, right? Um, other things that I think a lot of people forget about, kind of in that same like put your head in the sand kind of thing is clothes. A lot of times we don't want to admit how much we actually spend on clothes and shoes, especially when it comes to our kids, uh, back to school clothes, shoes, backpacks, school supplies, all that kind of stuff. Also, our pets, you guys, there's no worse feeling than your pet being sick and you not having the money to take them to the vet or them just needing their regular checkup shots or grooming appointments or things like that. And you don't have the money set aside. Speaking from experience, that's not a great feeling. So put your pets in your sinking fund. 
Also, kids' activities, you know, these sign-up fees for sports, for clubs, um, any kind of like, when my girls were in dance, there was all kinds of like hidden fees, like recital fees, costumes, pictures, new tights, new shoes when they grew out of them, even in soccer, you know, new cleats, new socks when somebody got a hole in their socks, pictures for that as well, you know, all that kind of stuff. That stuff adds up. And if you're going to spend money on it. Be honest with yourself. Put it in the list. Even if you don't know exactly the dollar amount, just start setting something and something will be better than nothing. Another thing that we like to stick our head in the sand about is our own health costs. Even if it's just checkups, even if it's just, you know, dental cleanings or annual checkups or anything like that, or, you know, we are legitimately sick, those kind of um, doctor bills as well. Um, Anything health, medical, that's a really, really great sinking fund. You're going to be really glad you have it when the time comes. Another one is for irregular bills. So these are things that you don't pay monthly and sometimes we forget about them. Or again, stick our head in the sand and pretend like they don't really happen. So if you pay insurance any way non-monthly, some people pay it once a year, some people pay it twice, um, quarterly, There's all different kinds of ways to pay insurance. Also, different kinds of taxes. If you pay income tax, property taxes. I know some people um, pay school tax, vehicle tax. There's a lot of different kinds of taxes depending on where you live. Also, different registrations, licenses. This could be for your vehicle. This could be for your job. There's all kinds of these kind of irregular bills. This is a really great place to kind of stick those. Just do another line item for these. So these are all just line items listed out, different categories inside your sinking fund. So I say usually limit yourself to about 10. Any more than 10 is kind of excessive. There's usually things you can combine like kids and that could be their activities that could be their clothes that could be their birthdays you know you could put all that together just to really keep it simple but as far as like kind of brainstorming on the amounts you know write it out as much as you want and then you can kind of go back and group things together and try to keep it as simple as possible other things could be anything involving your home maintenance upkeep hoas pest control furniture replacement we already talked about appliance replacement property taxes any of that can go under the home maintenance category as well as vehicle maintenance and that again can include anything That can include maintenance, like just oil changes, tire rotation, repairs, any kind of registration tags, tolls, anything like that really could go under the vehicle maintenance. So I've listed all these categories. That was a lot. But now our next question is always, okay, well, how much? (laughs) How much should we do for all of this? And everybody's is going to be different. So unfortunately, there's not a one size fits all. But if you just grab a piece of paper or, you know, put a new tab on your spreadsheet or something like that, or if you have my worksheets, we kind of walk you through, prompt you to kind of walk through all of this, where you just fill out a few categories. Okay, these are the different categories that I need. Think about how much you might need for the whole year. 
a lot of these we're not going to know until it happens. Home maintenance, vehicles, health, things like that. We're probably not going to know until it happens. So I say just pick an amount. It's not going to be a perfect science. It never will be with sinking funds, but something is going to be better than nothing. So pick 500, 1,000, 2,000, like what can you legitimately afford? And you can always go back and add to it or pull from it later if you did too little or too much. So you can always adjust it later. You're not married to this amount. You know, you can always change it. So find the total that you want per year, per category, and then you can decide how often you want to contribute to it. So I usually will do a client's entire year budget and then go back and decide when they're going to do their sinking funds. So I will look for kind of a pattern. And if you work with me, this is something that I'll do for you. So it just takes a whole bunch of weight off of you. But basically, I'll go back and look for a pattern where I'll say, okay, this side of the month, like this half of the month, they actually have a little bit of extra money. It's usually the opposite half of the month than you pay your rent or your mortgage because that's usually our biggest expense. So the opposite side of the month, sometimes for that, you'll have a little bit of extra money. Or some people's end up pretty even throughout the month. And I'll say, well, go ahead and contribute you know, once a month, it doesn't matter. It's going to be basically the same. Some people contribute every single time they get paid. And that could be biweekly. That could be semi-monthly. That could be weekly. So there's no right or wrong way to do this. It's really just like what fits in your budget. And you can always go back and change it later. So don't overthink it. And remember, your sinking fund's never going to be perfect anyway but something is going to be better than nothing. So the next question on sinking funds is where do we keep this money? I've had people do everything basically. So you can do a savings account. You can combine this with your already existing emergency fund. That works. Easy peasy. I've done a debit card in the past. I love to have a debit card because then you're going out, you're shopping for new clothes, you have a debit card to swipe. You're buying new tires, you have a debit card to swipe. You're paying your property taxes, you have a check to write. If your place is still old school and takes checks like our county does. Um, If you're buying Christmas presents, you have a debit card to swipe. There you go. That's really simple. Um, And I would keep that in a separate checking account away from my other money. So it would kind of just be over there by itself, not getting tangled up in my regular grocery money or my regular bill pay money. But I've also had a lot of clients keep the money in cash and they've done really well with that. So there's really an eat to each his own. It really is just kind of depending on what what you prefer, what's going to be more convenient for you. Frequently asked question number two, how to juggle all these different goals that I have. I want to save. I want to pay off debt, but I also want to have some fun. So how do we do all of this at the same time? That's also another benefit of working with a professional is sometimes we can come in with an objective view and kind of just look at everything as a whole and be able to tell you you know, how much is actually left, where you can make some changes and different things like that. So that's the first thing I always do. And you could do this on your own as well. I like to budget out an entire year so you can get an aerial view of your situation. So basically, when I first start with a client, I'll do 
all of their income. I'll plug in all their income for the whole year. Then I'll plug in all their bills for the whole year. Then I'll plug in all their spending for the whole year. So it's income minus bills minus necessary spending. So that's like groceries, gas, things like that. Then I kind of look at everything and I will see how much money is left over for that entire year. If you're using my worksheets, you can go to the goals tab and it'll do this for you right there in one place. Like it'll put it all in one nice, neat little column and you can see the entire year all in one snapshot. It's amazing. It's my favorite feature in the worksheets. So you can see how much money is left over. Then you can kind of work backwards from there and be like, okay, I have you know, X number of dollars left over. What do I want to do with it? You get to decide. That's the empowering part. That is the part where you're like, oh, I decided how fast I was going to get out of debt. I decided how fast I was going to save this money. It's super empowering. But on the flip side of that, it's also super (laughs) overwhelming. So if you need help, that's definitely something that I can help you with. But I would say in this order, I would do necessary sinking funds. So some of those sinking funds that we just talked about, you're like, you know, your car is on its last leg. Um, You know, no matter how broke you were, you were going to spend at least something on your kids for Christmas. You're going to spend at least something on them for their birthday. You're going to replace people's shoes when they outgrow their shoes. Like there's some necessary sinking funds, right? Things like that. Um, I would do those necessary first, like, not the nice to have, like maybe you don't go on vacation if you're like flat, flat broke. Maybe your vacation waits another year or two. Okay, that that happens. That's reality. Let's do the necessary first. Then I would put some money towards savings because you have to have an emergency fund. That's a non-negotiable. But your emergency fund can start really small. It's okay. It's okay if it starts at 50 bucks and you add to it every time you get paid or every month. It can start at 500. That's okay. It's better than nothing. My very first emergency fund, my goal was 500. And I was super proud of myself because that was the most money I'd ever had in one place at one time that wasn't already spoken for for a bill. So that's okay if you need to start there, but don't stop there. Like continually add to it as time goes on, right? And then work up to, you know, having a thousand and then 2000 and then three and then five and then 10, (laughs) 15. But you have to start somewhere. You have to start with that first 50, that first hundred, you know, that's that's where you need to start first. The next would be extra towards debt, especially those high interest. If you have payday loans, if you have any of those like afterpay or a firm, those interest rates are insane. You guys, please look at your interest rates. Please know what you are giving them monthly in interest. It's crazy. Some of these credit cards even I've seen up into the 20% lately. I've been seeing like 22%, 24%. They're so high. You guys are, you're giving them so much money. So please know what you're paying in interest. Um, we're going to talk in a minute about what order to pay your debts off. So hold your questions on that. We'll, we'll get there in just a second. So paying any extra towards debt. Next, I would say play around with these numbers until you have a plan that you're excited about. So there's not going to be a one size fits all answer to like, OK, put $500 towards sinking funds, put $200 towards savings, put $100 towards debt. Like that's not going to be the right answer for 
anybody, like for everybody, (laughs) it's going to vary so much from person to person. It's going to vary what your goals are, what your values are, how much money you actually have to put towards these things. It's going to vary. So play around with these numbers until you find something that gets you really fired up. They're like, yes, this plan is going to be great. It's going to feel so awesome when we get to the end of the year and we have X number of dollars for savings, X for saving, um, X for sinking funds, X for debt. It's going to be great. And then you also have an idea of where any of your unexpected money is going to go. So say you get a bonus that you weren't planning on or you get a raise or you just you switch careers and you get paid more than you thought. Whatever happens, something random happens and you get extra money. Also kind of know, okay, yeah, I've done all these other goals with my planned out money, but if I get unexpected money, it would I would put it definitely towards savings. I would definitely put it towards that specific credit card, something like that. Have an idea of the order that you would pay your debt off or the order that you would save, the order that any of these goals would happen. So that is my long-winded answer to how to juggle all these different goals that we have. Question number three, what is a high yield savings account? You've probably been hearing about these on Instagram. I try to post about them pretty frequently, but I know pretty much every financial person that I follow posts about them and they always are getting a ton of questions. So let's talk about what a high yield savings account is. Basically, It's just a regular savings account that you happen to earn more money than average with. It's really that simple. It's not scary. I promise. It's still FDIC. It is not an investment. It's not a money market. Okay. It's not a bond. It's not a CD. It's none of those things. It is just a savings account. Okay. It's still insured. It's not invested. It's not risky at all. But these savings accounts, their rates change with inflation and they change when the Fed changes the federal interest rates, things like that. So the interest rate does fluctuate up and down. So it's not like a guaranteed amount. They do give you a heads up before they change anything. Lately, it's been going back up. During COVID, it went down kind of as inflation in the market itself was changing. That's okay. It's not risky. Like you're not going to lose your initial amount that you put in. It's just that the amount that you earn in interest might change. But usually that's to our benefit. And even when the interest rates got the lowest that they've gotten in the past four years or so that I've had a high yield savings account, it was still insanely more than I could earn at my local bank at in their savings account. In fact, <laughs> my savings account that I had at our local bank, like the bank that I could drive down the street and go to the ATM, I was losing money every month because they were charging me an $8 fee for either one, not having enough transactions or having too many transactions. So either way, I was pretty much paying them $8 a month for a quote unquote savings account. I was losing money. I was like, no, we're, we're done. We're done with this. <laughs> so um, a high yield savings account, though, some of the ways that they're able to offer you a higher than average rate, like right now, the time of recording, 
most of the top interest rates, you can do a Google search for what the current rates are and who's offering them, which banks, all of that. But right now, the top banks, they're offering about three and a half percent to about four percent. That is a really good interest rate, especially when you're on the receiving end of that instead of the paying end of that, which we tend to think more about when we're spending on credit cards and stuff, right? We're paying interest. No, you're earning 3%. You're earning 4%. It's insane. It is amazing. Like I said, Google and see currently whenever you're listening to this, what the top rates are, who's offering them. I personally have always used Ally. It's A-L-L-Y.com, Ally Bank. Um, I've never tried anybody else. So I can't personally speak to any of those experiences. Um, for from experience, I have had clients that have used Capital One Three Sixty. Um, I know SoFi usually has a pretty good rate. They're kind of yeah, they're kind of in hot water right now over suing Biden administration over the whole student loan things. Um, but I had to put that on the list because they actually do offer a pretty high interest rate. Um, PNC Bank, I've had a lot of clients use them as well. So like I said, do your own research, pick, you know, maybe you already bank with one of these banks and you're happy with them or you're just like, I don't know, Sammy uses Ally. Let's go with Ally. I'm not getting paid to tell you that. I just personally use them. So for us, we usually try to keep around 15 to 20,000 as our emergency fund. It's kind of been back and forth as we've been doing things around our house, buying a new couch, putting on gutters, all that really expensive stuff. But we usually earn about 40 to $50 a month just from our emergency fund. That's crazy. And it's not risky at all. So they are able to offer these kind of higher than average interest rates because they don't have a brick and mortar location. Like you're doing all of this online, but again, they're still FDIC insured. It's still safe, right? So what you do with these is you do a digital transfer from your regular checking account. It links up digitally. You give it your checking account, you know, that you do your bill pay out of. You have your um, direct deposit go into and then you just do those digital transfers. So sometimes they will take one to three business days, which is kind of a con. I have seen lately that they offer a Zelle option, which I think is faster, but I have not personally tried it. So the con is kind of the transfer time is kind of a con. But in a way, I kind of think of it as a pro because I feel like I don't need to impulse spend five or ten thousand dollars. So anytime we've saved up to buy something big like cash flow, a vehicle or a boat or, you know, buy a new couch or something like that, we've always had plenty of time, plenty of notice to do that transfer. And it's fine. But what I would say is if you are nervous about that transfer time back and forth and not having a card linked to it, keep $500 as a buffer in your checking account or keep $1,000. And that's like your, hey, I'm stranded on the side of the road. I need to pay a tow truck um, kind of emergency fund. Speaking from experience, that's always the time that I'm like, right now, I need $200, not five minutes from now, right now. Um, so keep that buffer in your checking account, or if you are a responsible credit card owner that can work as your urgent emergency fund, which is what I did actually last time I needed a tow truck. 
I had my credit card. And then I was able to transfer that money out of Ally, put it in my regular bank account, pay that tow truck charge off on my credit card before I had to pay any interest and everything was fine. It's super simple to set up. It's going to take you maybe five or 10 minutes. Promise. It's super easy. Also, pro tip, and I would tell you this if you were one of my clients, Set up an automatic transfer if you are actively trying to build this emergency fund or actively trying to save for something big. So set up an automatic transfer that comes straight out of your bills account um, into your savings. And it can be monthly, biweekly, weekly. I don't care. Whatever works for your budget. And pick an arbitrary due date if you need to. Pick every day, every payday, whatever works for you. And treat it like a bill, just like, hey, every single Friday when I get paid, 50 bucks goes to my high yield savings account to slowly but surely build up my emergency fund. You can go ahead and do that and thank me later. Yes, pro tip. So I'm a budgeting coach and every day I help real people set up their real budgets. And in order to do this successfully, I designed a one of a kind budgeting system for everyone. The digital budgeting system is a set of digital worksheets that are perfect for any and every family's budgeting needs from beginners to pros. If you want an automated color-coordinated, simplified, and gorgeous way to organize your money, then you're in the right place. This is a simple six-tab spreadsheet system hosted through Google Sheets full of formulas and shortcuts to make your budgeting life easier, as well as a how-to video to help you get it all set up. The best part? It's only 20 bucks. Visit asunnysideuplife.com slash budgeting or find the direct link in the show notes to get yours today. All right, I teased about it, but here we go. Question number four is what is the best order to pay off debt? I also have an old episode about this as well that I will link to in the show notes. Again, it goes way more in depth than I will be able to in this episode. But these are the few different options of how you can pay off your debt. And we'll talk about the pros and cons of each of them. So the first one you've probably heard is the debt snowball method. This is basically where you pay off the lowest balance first. And the whole point is to kind of get the snowball rolling. Like it starts small, but then you roll it up and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it can cause more impact, right? So this is really just to get the ball rolling, just to kind of have that quick win. And sometimes this is the best option. So again, I'm going to like just preference with there's not a one size fits all like everything else. Personal finance is personal. If you were my client, I would say, let's look at the whole picture. There are so many factors to consider. But sometimes we just need to get that quick win. And sometimes we will have a debt that's like $100 or $200. Get it done. Get it out of the way. Get that quick win. Get a line item checked off of your goals list. Move on. Call it a day. Sometimes that's what we need to do. Next would be the avalanche method, which is basically where you pay off the highest interest rate first, because mathematically, that's what makes the most sense. Right? Okay. But sometimes doing that, it's going to be a while until you see your first debt fall off when you're doing it in that order. Because I've seen sometimes, you know, you have a really high credit card that's like, 
$20,000 worth of debt. And that interest rate is like 20%. I've seen this several times. You're like, well, that's my highest interest rate. It's going to take you a really long time to chip away at $20,000 in debt. It might be better to do a quick win and knock out that $1,000 credit card first, even though the interest rate is lower, even though mathematically it might not make the most sense. Sometimes we need that quick win. But other times I have clients that are like, mathematically, I, I have to get this highest interest rate gone first because it's driving me crazy. Like it's just really bothering me to, you know, make Capital One that much richer, make American Express that much richer every month. I've got to get this interest gone. Either way, pros and cons to both. The third one, I feel like those two are the most popular, but there are other options. The third option is the highest monthly payment. So sometimes, especially when people are first starting out, they have literally no wiggle room in their budget. Sometimes they're negative and they're like putting groceries on a credit card or they're just consistently pulling from their savings. They really need just to kind of break that put a wedge in there, get that wiggle room going. Um, and sometimes that's the highest monthly payment. If you're like, hey, I have this debt payment that's like $500, $800. Like I've seen some really high ones. We just really need to free up that extra money and then we can knock out all these smaller ones. Sometimes that's what we need to do to just kind of create that wiggle room in our monthly budget. The next one is kind of unconventional, but the most stressful because you guys, there is so much more to this journey than just the numbers. This is not just a mathematical situation. We're real humans. This is a very emotional journey. This is a lot of your mindset. This is keeping you motivated. This is doing all the inner work along the way. There's so much more to it, right? So sometimes we need to knock out that most stressful first. Sometimes it's <laughs> like um, they're threatening to repossess our car or our house or our property taxes are really behind and the bank is not very happy with us. Speaking from experience um, or maybe you owe a friend or family member money and it's not even about the interest. They're not even charging you interest, but it's causing a little bit of tension every time you see this person or it's like a family member who's kind of holding it over your head or something like that. Or maybe you have somebody else co-signed and the bill collectors are calling and harassing the co-sign person. Whatever it is, if there's something that's just like keeping you up at night, making you feel sick to your stomach, like you're probably thinking of something right now. <laughs> Knock that one out first. Like you're going to feel so motivated, so pumped up. Like you're going to keep going after that. And then you can knock out the highest interest and whatever else you want to do. Or the last option, which let's be honest, this is actually what most people do. It's a combination of all of these. It's like, oh, let's do the most stressful first. Then let's move to the highest interest. Then let's talk about highest monthly payment or let's do two in a row, three in a row of our highest interest, then let's go <laughs> to monthly payment. It. Let's be honest, like most people, most of my clients, we're going to do a combination of all of these. And we're going to just do a realistic order that 
we get most excited about that makes us want to keep doing this month after month, year after year to make this actually happen. That's the thing that matters most. What is going to get you excited? What is going to help you stay motivated? What is going to get you coming back to check on your budget day after day, week after week, month after month? What's going to help you still be doing this in three years and five years and 10 years? What's going to help you actually make this the time that you turn it all around? This is the time that you actually follow through. That's the plan that we want you to follow. I don't care if you do Dead Snowball. I don't care if you do Avalanche. I don't care if you do Most Stressful, Highest Monthly Payment. I don't care. I want you to do the one that you actually do. All right. Question number five. How much do I need to retire? I hear this question all the time. I think a lot of people usually think one extreme or the other. They usually think, oh, it's not going to cost that much to retire. Like, oh, this person has like $300,000. Why aren't they retired yet? Or it's the other extreme of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need $5 million. I'm going to need $10 million, Or I cannot even think about retiring. Okay. Reality check, it's somewhere in between, all right? So a really good rule of thumb, and I like to follow the method of The Simple Path to Wealth. I can link to that book. It's probably the greatest investing book that I've ever read. It's so user, beginner-friendly. I love it. Anyway, they talk about it in that book. I've heard tons of financial experts suggest to use the rule of 4%. So this is basically like, Take your amount, times it by 0.04 or 4%, and that's going to tell you what you could live off of. So essentially, if you pulled out 4% of your investment, could you live on that amount? And this rule basically says that if you're only pulling out 4%, your investments, you're just pulling out 4% every year. So your investment should be earning more than that. It should be earning more like 6 or 8%. So you're never actually draining your account. So that even gives you some wiggle room for those years that maybe the market is down. Where you're pulling 4%, you're never draining your investment. It's always sitting there earning more interest until you pull more out the next year, right? So for this example, if we're following the 4% rule, say you had 1.5 million, which is our personal goal for me and my husband. The 4% rule says that you could pull out 60,000 a year in today's money because inflation is figured into this. 60,000 in today's money and hypothetically you should not touch the principal of your investment. So basically you should be just living off interest and never draining it and you should be able to do that. So if you can live on 60,000, 1.5 million is plenty for you. Also take into consideration that your cost of living is going to be a little bit different than it is today. Once you have a good budget set up, you can really see like necessities. This is what we need to live on. So a lot of us, by the time we reach retirement age, if we're homeowners, we're settled in the home that we want to stay in, a good amount of people are going to have their home paid off. That's not everybody, but there's going to be a good amount of people. Um, you know, 
hopefully you don't have any kids at home anymore. You know, all the kids are off the payroll. You're done paying for college, all of that kind of stuff. So those expenses are going to be a lot lower. There's just a lot of other things to consider. Hopefully, um, we're still not in consumer debt. You know, hopefully we don't have student loans anymore. You know, so a lot of our living expenses are going to be much, much lower than they are right now. So hopefully you're able to live on even more than you live on right now. But that might not be true for everybody. Maybe you want to buy a home and maybe you wait later in life. And so you're retired and you're still paying for it. Maybe you get real bougie and you want to buy a second home. (laughs) Maybe you want to travel a lot and it's not just you and your partner. You want to take the kids also. You want to pay for your friends also to travel. You want to buy a couple extra cars just for the fun of it. I don't know, whatever you want to do in retirement. So kind of do that rough estimation. And remember, these are tips for people who are kind of just starting on this budgeting journey. Retirement might be 10 to 30 years away a lot of times for my clients. So I'm kind of speaking from that time frame. For us personally, it's about 12 and a half years away. So you still have a good amount of time. I'm not talking about people who are like two years away from retirement. No, we're not. (laughs) This is not advice for you. Okay. But If you're like 10 to 30 years, okay, kind of just do these rough numbers. Doesn't have to be perfect. And let's just start saving something. Let's have a goal that we're at least working towards. Um, Also, depending on the type of account that you are investing in, you might have to pay taxes on this money when you pull it out. So take that into consideration as well. Of course, this is going to vary so much. So I can't really give a one size fits all answer to that right here and now, but take that into consideration as well. So basically you start with that rough number. Okay. Say you're going to live on 60,000 a year. So your investment number is 1.5 million and we're going to work backwards. So I have a calculator that I love to use. It's calculator.net slash investment dash calculator. I'll link it in the show notes. I love to use it. I've used a lot of calculators. I always go back to this one. I have it bookmarked with my other budget stuff um, because I use it every two weeks when I update our net worth. I'll check in, just make sure we're still on track because obviously the market is going to fluctuate and, you know, things aren't going to be exactly the same every single two weeks. So I just kind of like to check in because I'm a budgeting nerd like that. So basically, you do that math and then you're like work backwards. Okay, maybe you already have some invested. Let's subtract that out. Okay, what's the difference? And then with this calculator, you can plug in my starting balance is 300,000. My goal is 1.5 million. Currently, I'm investing $1,000 per month. How long would it take me to get there? And then you can figure out the years and you're like, oh, that's too many years. I'm not happy with that number. You can play around in this calculator and say, well, what if I invested $1,500 a month? Okay, cool. That would get me to my goal. But you're like, um, I can't afford to invest $1,500 a month. That's not a reality. Okay. But at least you know your numbers now. And at least you have a goal to work towards. Just because this is your goal does not mean, okay, immediately we can afford this. There was a lot of time where we weren't investing anything for retirement. That's okay if that's where you're starting. 
That's actually much more normal than society would like you to think. So if that's you, you are 100% not alone. But start with something. The other day, I helped a client set up her IRA. It was her first time ever. Like she did a screen share um, and I was like, okay, click that button. Now click this button, click this button. And we set up her IRA together. You know what she started with, you guys? $100. And we were so excited. We were celebrating that. She bought half a share of stock and we're celebrating that. It was great. And so you guys, you have to start somewhere. There was a time when I was investing $0 and I started with a couple percent. I started with, I think we started with like two or 3%. That was the first thing we did. Then we went up to four, then we went up to five, then we went up to six. Now we're doing six percent to the 401k. Um, We're maxing out my husband's IRA. And I think we're getting... I think our goal is like two or 3,000 for mine this year, something like that. We're not even maxing mine out yet. It's okay. It's okay to add to it little by little. So even though you're doing these numbers and you're like, that is a really high number. It's okay. (laughs) At least you know what you're working towards and you can start to more or less get on track. All right. So those are my five frequently asked questions. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope that it was helpful. I also hope that you enjoyed it because I would like to do this kind of format again next season. I actually already have six questions <laughs> set aside for next time. It was really hard to narrow down to just five. So give me a little bit of feedback in um, the reviews of the podcast. Leave some comments on Instagram, Facebook. Let me know what you guys thought about this episode. And if you want to hear another one of this same format next season, I would love to share with you guys. Like I said, no game keeping around here. I want to help you guys in every way that I can. All right. That's all for me today. Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a Sunny Side Up Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a review. Five-star reviews are what help the podcast grow. Don't forget to check out the episode show notes for links to everything that we talked about today, as well as tons of free resources to help you on your financial independence journey, like my monthly newsletter, budgeting challenges, fun downloads, and more. Head over to asunnysideuplife.com to get started. And if you want to keep up with me in the day-to-day, don't forget to follow me on social media at a sunny side up life. Well, that's all for me this week. Bye guys.